Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. I am very excited to welcome Didi Brown to Leave Your Mark. Didi, I admit, I told you already, I was stalking you on LinkedIn. I was like going down the rabbit hole of like, what has this girl done in her career? And I love that in one or two DMs, here we are. And yet we've met before at my book party with Kirsten back in the day. And listen, you have crushed it. And I'm really excited to share your story. So welcome to the show. Yay! Thank you. I mean, it's a mutual like stalking scenario. I've been a fan for a long time from when we met at your book party a thousand, I guess, years ago, it feels like. And I should say fabulous book party. It was one of the best ones I've been to in New York. And I've been here almost 20 years. Thank you. Just from your platform, it's just really providing so much just inspiration and value. And I always recommend your book to like all my mentees. <laughs> all right. We got to talk about you, not me, but thank you. I appreciate okay. it. So Didi, I mean, you're the definition of carving your own path and leaving your mark from studying broadcast journalism at the University of Alabama to finding your way through the bright lights of Hollywood. You have stayed true to who you are and what excites you. And for everyone listening, Didi is currently the Senior Vice President of Multicultural Marketing and Publicity at Paramount Pictures, one of the biggest production companies in Hollywood. And before joining the Paramount family, she worked on films such as Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse, Godzilla, TV shows, including Southside, God Friend and Me, and The Neighborhood, the list goes on. And of course, just like me, when she's not helping to do her day job, which in your case is running the show behind the scenes of Paramount, <laughs> you're co-hosting a podcast, Black on the Scene, that's BLK for when you guys look this up after, Black on the Scene, which is described as a love letter to Black creators, Black content, and Black voices who are helping to drive change and representation and entertainment. Could not be better. Could not be better. Thank you. That's amazing. I'm just sharing. I'm sharing all your light. You know, I'm, I'm really excited. So give us the goods on the background. Where are you from? I'm from Montgomery, Alabama. I'm a country girl who grew up in the deep south. And probably if we're really thinking about it, probably a few years after schools were desegregated in the south. And I'm the oldest of five. My parents are divorced, uh, very 
devout Christians they are. And we went to Sunday school and church, you know, twice a week. And it was a sweet place to sort of grow up. But my parents were divorced and my mom got remarried. My stepdad was in the military and we ended up moving to South Florida when I was like 13. And what a difference growing up or being in South Florida and Miami with all of this amazing culture, which is very different than Montgomery, Alabama. And that's a little bit about my, I guess, my early years. And then I went to college at the University of Alabama, as you already said. And you studied broadcast journalism. So you already had the bug of just that world. You know, it's not until you connect the dots when you have a conversation like this with someone that I realize, oh, wait, I was actually doing broadcasting in high school. We had a broadcasting program where I delivered the news with this great guy, Dennis Reynolds. He was literally the yin to my yang. And he was more of the funny one. I was like the straight guy. And I was like a roving reporter for Homestead Senior High School, where I went to a lot of events and reported on things. I was like a little intrepid reporter. So somehow, naturally, I got involved in that. And I can't tell you who introduced me to it or how I knew. Like it was a thing because my dad's in the military and my mom's a nurse. So right, <laughs> definitely not related. But it's interesting no. because now as a podcast host, also, you're doing that thing you did in high school, basically. We are. And of course, you were probably like me, where you got the, you know, Dee Dee is a great student, but she never stops talking. She, <laughs> she makes friends very easily, but she's always socializing. Um, so mine was Aliza is a great student and never stops talking or fixing her makeup in class. <laughs> Guilty. Guilty as charged. And you know what? I'm proud. I look damn good in freaking school. Hells yeah. Yeah. So you finish school and you find yourself coming to New York. Not even. It was so I finished school and I didn't realize at the time, like there wasn't such an emphasis on internships, although I kind of did one, but I waited tables through school. Like sending me to college was a group effort. The student loans, my parents who had another kid in school at the same time, my stepfather had a daughter my age, and she was also in college at uh, the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And I have a sister that's 15 months younger than me. So she was coming out of school and then a sister who's 10 years younger than me. And so it was really a crazy thing. And I went away. So I had out of state tuition. So I opted to work. I was waiting tables at this place called O'Charlie's. And it was my first waiting tables gig. I also did work study. So there was more of an emphasis on like this kind of, I guess, survival mode, you know, paying my rent and helping out and all the things. And when I graduated, I knew that I somehow did not want to go to some random town in Mississippi or Alabama even and report on a cat being stuck in a tree. And so there wasn't this whole like entertainment news or, or programming the way, of course, we have it now. Not that I had access to or knowledge of. And so I went home to Montgomery and lived at home. I waited tables at sort of the same restaurant. I transferred and 
I just was kind of lost for a while, to be honest. I mean, I'm 21, 22, and I'm figuring all of this out as I go along because my mom was an RN, but she didn't get a four-year degree as an RN. And my dad didn't finish, my stepdad didn't finish college until he was 50. So I didn't have like a sense of like mentorship or you should be doing this. And it really was me figuring it out. And my parents would make fun of me. Like you went to school and we spent all this money for you to wait tables. And so a couple, I think about a year or so in, my dad encouraged me and my friend at the time, my high school friend, and we also went to college together to move to Atlanta. So I'm 23, 24, moving to Atlanta, staying with a relative and still no idea what I was going to be doing. Why did he want you to go to Atlanta? Because he wanted us out of the house. <laughs> so he's, like, like, he's like, here's a whole nother state for you to go to. Yes. <laughs> my dad's the consummate girl dad. Like he loved his girls. And he's like, but if you were a boy at like 20, 21, I never would have let you back in the house. When I was 18, I was out. We figured it out. We didn't go back home. And so even though I'm very independent, I do have the privilege of having parents that were generous enough to let me come back home and work and and even my best friend moving in for a while. It was it was a crazy time. So he's just like, you need to go to Atlanta. That's where it's happening. He was also doing some work there for the Air Force. And so I get to Atlanta. I waited tables at Ruby Tuesdays for a while and it was just a mess. I was just like, what's happening? And serendipitously, I was waiting tables again. This is, I'm 24, 25 at Houston's. And a friend of mine that worked as a hostess said, I'm going to apply to this new place, Planet Hollywood. And I was like, can you believe it? Is that not a blast from the past? And so I went with her and I ended up getting the job and she didn't. And I'm waiting tables for a few months, drinking and partying most of my tips away. My parents are still on me. And I just had a that thing that's like, girl, you can do better than this. And so I inquired about opportunities because we were doing events within the restaurant, as you know, those memorabilia events, et cetera, et cetera. And I always saw this very like beautiful, perky blonde running around that I was sure had slept her way to the top. Meanwhile, she's a couple years older than me. It wasn't true. She was the PR manager and ended up and has been one of my dearest, most wonderful friends and mentors. And she ended up hiring me to be her assistant and the assistant to the general manager. And that's how I got introduced to PR and entertainment. Oh my God. I love it. First of all, I spent so much time in Planet Hollywood in New York in high school, I will say. Wow. Okay. So... That's where you got the PR bug. So obviously, waiting tables, even doing PR plan in Hollywood, you're at Paramount Pictures today. So that is definitely still, you've got a big ways to go. Entertainment, Hollywood, it's kind of funny, though, because you just dropped the planet and kept the Hollywood part. Which I, <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. That's so good. So... I mean, how did you end up in New York, though? Still with Planet Hollywood, or you moved on to something else? No. It's so crazy. And again, I I just want to emphasize that clearly there was no plan, but maybe it was God's plan to just keep putting me in places. And I just kept learning and working really hard. Like, I just put my head down and I was like, I got to figure this out and just kind of went with it. 
I waited tables at Planet Hollywood, got that assistant PR job, and Carolyn ended up leaving her job. And I got moved over to the official all-star cafe. So the sports version of that. So I was working with like Shaq, Andre Agassi, Ken Griffey Jr. I had no idea what I was doing. I had watched Carolyn and she was very hands-on and helping me with my writing skills and how to pitch and all these things that I didn't realize I really knew how to do until I was thrust in that situation. And so probably about a year later, they shut down All-Star Cafe. They were shutting down Planet Hollywoods. And I found myself out of a job around 28. And man, what a crazy situation that was. And I then went over to Universal Pictures in the field office through a recommendation of someone. I did that for eight months and got laid off from that job. Because they shut the field office down. So I'm 29, laid off twice. And I'm like, what is happening? And then through an introduction from my old boss to someone, I was working as the regional marketing manager for In Demand, which is the pay-per-view network. And they were based in, and they still are, based in New York. And I was coming back and forth to New York for the better part of like six months to a year. And I was like, I got the bug. I would sit on the plane and I was just like, you know, my spirit was telling me this is where I needed to be. And 2002, I quit that job, moved to New York. I probably knew three or four people. And I moved into an apartment on Cornelia Street, fourth floor walk up with a woman that I met at In Demand, who we just became friends on those trips that I came. And she's still one of my dearest friends. And we shared really a one bedroom apartment with the bathtub in the kitchen, a classic New York apartment. It was like $1,800, the most money I'd ever spent on an apartment. Gotta love New York. Yeah, that's how I got to New York. And I was just trying to figure it out and ended up freelancing at GQ on the GQ Men of the Year Awards in 2002. And that was like a six-week gig. And I, I just continued to move in faith, knowing, and I could just always feel like I was in the right place at the right time with the right group of people. And serendipitously, I met someone from the New York Post who was looking to hire someone to fill in for someone on maternity leave. And he had lived in Atlanta. We started, he also had a crush on my friend, by the way. So I pimped her a little bit to get in his good graces. Totally fine. Interviewed for the job. And the next thing I know, I secured the job as freelance. And then I was hired full time shortly thereafter. And I got to tell you, what a great way to get to know New York working at the New York Post and like it's heyday. It was so, so sure. Yeah. So a couple minutes ago, you said, you know, God's plan, right? And I wonder in all of these scenarios that you've been put in, whether it's been in Atlanta or New York or with the jobs that laid off twice, there's clearly something about you that was able to sort of note it recognize it, and then move on very quickly and put yourself in the right situation. So I I do want to talk a little bit about your mentality in dealing with all that change, because I think part of it, sure, is God's plan, but a lot of it is also how you choose to handle those setbacks and those changes. Well, I would say that I said before that my parents are divorced. There's something about having divorced parents. 
and maybe being able to split yourself in a way and also prioritize things in a way. You figure out how to get along with both sides of the family, how to interact in different situations. I really attribute that as traumatic as it was, I mean, I was like five, six years old, and I don't really remember my biological parents together. I do think that that had a lot to do with my ability to be nimble and flexible. I think that moving in the middle of my eighth grade year and having to adjust to a whole new world. I also had a Southern accent when I moved to South Florida and just people reacting to that and not realize, like it was just maybe an assault on my senses, but I just learned how to be adaptable. I'm going to figure this out. And I think part of what was really helpful about the way I guess I was raised, because again, I didn't have helicopter parents, is my folks were just like, you got to figure this out. Um, there was really no handholding and they were strict about some things, but not strict about other things. And they had an open mind about friendships and they had diverse friends and, and it was just sort of like, I had, a, I think a good foundation. I mean, I did do a lot of shady things. I'm sure like teenage shady things, like speeding in the car, having parties when my parents went out of town, like stuff like that. But I think I just got a really great foundation I always knew there were consequences to my actions. I always knew to be polite and respectful, to bring humor to things because they're both very funny and we have a lot of humor in our family. And I think I brought a lot of that to my relationships and I was always curious. And I remembered to not take things personally. That has helped me so much to not, you know, stay in my feelings about things and to keep sort of moving forward and to also give people grace and hope that they give it to you as well. Okay. So I don't know if you realize what you're saying, but it's nimble, adaptable, able to deal with change, not take things personally. You've basically written the PR job description. Like those are all the things that are required to be successful in PR. Boom, here I am. <laughs> it is a certain type of person that can handle the level of needs to happen yesterday at the earliest, right? Or at the latest, I should say. And the level of stress that comes along certainly with doing publicity for the major brands that you have and the major projects that you have. What do you think is the biggest? secret weapon or your superpower in your role? I think that just curiosity, the ability to sort of reinvent myself. And I always sort of knew, and I'm taking this from Bevy, who I know is on your show. I'm a big fan of her book. I'm just a big fan of her career personally. It gets greater later. And being able to see her And other women in like our similar age group just pivot and do interesting things. And not to say that it's easy, um, because I have suffered from a lot of, you know, what am I doing? This is a young person's job. I've totally, you know, all the things. But it's given me so much in terms of having more confidence in my ability to speak out about 
I guess all sorts of things and be more forward facing where most of my career, I've just been get it done, get it done, get it done. And not even being on your podcast is something that I've been working toward for a few years now to be honing my voice in a bit. Yeah. And it wasn't something if you had asked me maybe four years ago, I'd be like, no, I don't have anything to say. Well, I've always had something to say. I probably just didn't think enough of myself and my ability and what I've learned and what I could offer to say it, if that makes sense. It does make sense. But I also think, you know, going on a podcast gives you also an opportunity to reflect. And a lot of times, like in the beginning, when people hear their bios, they're like, Oh my God, thank you so much. It's like, uh, I didn't make this shit up. This is, you did this. Like I, I, I am literally just giving you back what you already did. But when you mentioned pivoting though, I mean, as of the New York Post, you were in PR, yeah? Yes, and events. And events. So you've been on that track at all the companies. So where's the pivot? I think the pivot is the industries. And it's particularly sort of noticeable at Paramount where I work with a lot of people who've been in the industry 15, 20 years. So they have a lot of deep relationships across the industry that I don't necessarily have. I do think that if you have sort of the basics and you can problem solve and think through to the next step, like most PR professional and marketing professionals can that you can pivot to different industries. It's like when someone says, oh, I want to get into entertainment, but I have a healthcare background. I'm like, it does not matter. You can figure everything else out and make the relationship. So I do know that on some level, I have felt, wow, if I had really just stuck with one particular industry, I'd have more deeper relationships. But on the other hand, I'm able to bring those relationships outside the industry in to help with the job, you know, that I have now. And I think I've always been able to do that. And I'm grateful for that, that I have friends across multiple industries and contacts and experience across sports and media and fashion. And when I was freelancing, I was doing whatever people paid me to do. So I was just sort of like, I'll do it. For sure. You know, it's interesting because I do think the entertainment industry does feel like a private club, right? But, you know, when I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you must have thought like, well, why'd they pick me? They have very good reasons for why they picked you. So what are they? That's a question I've often asked over the years. I think that, again, I bring a certain curiosity and enthusiasm and the ability to not take myself so seriously. I've made so many like silly mistakes at like dinners and the ability to sort of laugh some of my just things I don't know and say I don't know it. Um, I think I've been humble, very humble and super hardworking especially over the past few years, just like being super focused on multicultural marketing and publicity and knowing that there's so many folks that have been in that world and that I had to work hard to gain their respect and trust and figure out a rhythm to this. And how can I show up wholeheartedly humble, hungry to know more and being 
as much of service, you know, as I can. And again, it's not been easy. I've worked really, really hard over the past like few years with a lot of crazy personal things going on. But I knew around 2014, 2015, this is sort of the path I want to be on. It lights me up and I can bring sort of my whole self to this field, however it takes. I'm just as interested in multicultural marketing and publicity and authentic representation across fashion. And congrats on the project that Warby is doing with Black Fashion uh, Fair. It's my baby. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, oh my we're gosh. Super, um, we're obsessed with it. Yes. So I'm just as passionate about that across fashion and, and beauty and art and podcasting. Yes, totally. <laughs> I think it's great. I also think people always focus on, oh, so I don't have that particular experience. But what you always forget is you're bringing a fresh perspective. You know, the people who have been in that industry for 15, 20 years, they all know the same thing. They've all experienced the same thing. And at a certain point, it gets stale. So I, I think they made a great choice. Tell Thank us, you. what's a day in your job like? <laughs> <laughs> and for everyone listening, just to be clear, Didi lives in New York, but works West Coast times. So I don't even know how you're like on the clock right now. It's 830 here in New York. So you're like still working. I'm praying nothing's blowing up and we don't have a movie opening very soon. But I would just like to go back to one thing. And, and that's, yeah. I think the pivot and the intro into any industry is really, again, making those relationships. And I've had so many wonderful people. And I'll go back to Carolyn again, who is just a dear friend and mentor and sister and advocate for me, who introduces me to people, brought me into her world and other relationships, like organic relationships. And I've done the same for others as well. So it wasn't just me being like, I'm a hard worker. It's also people walking you into a room and saying, this is my girl. I've known her for 20 years. She's so hardworking. You have to get to know her. And then really also making sure I don't disappoint or make her look bad or make them look bad. So I have so much just like love and respect for those people like a Carolyn, my friend John that I do the podcast with and a few others who have advocated for me along the way. And I hope I'm repaying that as I move along. But the typical day, there is no typical day, except it usually starts around noon, which is nine o'clock in LA. So it works for me because I'm not a morning person. And lately I've suffered from insomnia over the past like year or so. But we usually have like a morning call with the department heads at least three to four times a week. And that's reviewing everything across all disciplines of the studio. So digital, multicultural, publicity, uh, international sponsorships. And we're all basically given what's going on on all the movies we're working on pretty much simultaneously because we have movies opening within like a month of each other. But So you're working on things in, in tandem. And then there's just back-to-back meetings, back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings. And things shift, especially, so I started this job in March, 2020. Oh my God. (laughs) I was supposed to move to LA. Yep. And I never did because we were just Zooming by March 12th, March 13th. And I think it gave me a great opportunity to learn the job at a bit of a slower pace with a bit more like grace for my foibles and 
with any job, you don't really have control over announcements, what might happen with talent. Oh my God, if somebody's tweeting, I mean, you know, because you've worked with talent and you work with talent. (laughs) I mean, your job would be so much easier if Twitter didn't exist. It really would. And I think what people who, where it seems that what we do is so sexy, they don't realize that it's a moving target (laughs) every single day, especially when you're dealing with celebrities who have so much going on and so many people involved. And there are days where I'm just like, oh my gosh, my head is spinning, just trying to absorb all the information and figure out what I need to extract from it. That could be the reason for the insomnia. Maybe, yeah, it could be stress. Yeah, and I try to meet with my team. I mean, we're on text, we're on email. The one thing I don't do is like Slack. I don't know if I could take one more. Don't, just don't. If anyone tells you to get it, don't get it. You can't, you can't take it. We have Slack and it's like Slack me, text me, email. Choose one form of communication. Right, It's painful. So what would you say is the hardest part of your job in publicity for this particular market? For me lately, it's been a little bit of the time management, I think, from working yeah, both yeah. New York and LA. It's also, I will say I'm quite the overthinker. I want to really get in there. And sometimes you don't need to do that. You just need to like done is better than good and good is better than perfect. Um, It's taken me a long time to learn that where you don't have time to, and things move so fast. Often if you get a last minute request from talent or a filmmaker where you don't have time to necessarily like get in the weeds with it, you just need to get it done. That is super challenging for me because I haven't been in the industry for 20 years. I don't always know the best next step like automatically it takes me a while to figure it out and it's also just things are changing really fast in the industry from tiktok how does social media still play into a movie campaign does it translate working with influencers and i don't know that i have or any of us really have the answer because again as things are changing things are changing still so It's trying to keep abreast of how those changes are being reflected in your campaign. What are we measuring this against? And you know that PR is very nebulous in a lot of way. You're not necessarily looking at metrics per se. And so that is really challenging. I really relate to the getting it just done. I also, (laughs) you know, I think. I don't know if the volume has just increased like exponentially for the amount of projects that everyone sort of is meant to take on at any company. And I also love to go deep and I always have taken pride in like, you know, doing something to like the fullest extent that it can be done. And sometimes you just can't and you just need to get it done. Well, how are you doing? You have literally 45 different businesses and a, and a job and two kids. I have a cat and a boyfriend. And I'm like, check you later. I have work to do. <laughs> well, because everything has its particular time of day that it happens, right? Like oh, when I go gosh. back upstairs, I know that I have to help Sabrina with her homework. And, I, and when I 
was leaving to come down here, she was like, I'll see you back so we can do that Excel thing. And I'm like, can't wait, can't wait to do it. So it's just not everything has to be done at the same exact time, right? That's how everyone gets through multiple things. And also I'm someone who would be super bored if I didn't have multiple things going on at the time. Love it. Love it. You're, you're my North Star. Oh, stop it. I mean, de- definitely do not strive for me because trust me. <laughs> so let's talk about what inspired you to start your podcast. Oh, I just love doing it so much. And I think getting into my own voice a little bit more and realizing, oh, I have something to say I want to share. And again, I didn't wake up one day and I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. I did. I had a, <laughs> of course you did. And then you had it all figured out probably in a week. Like, no joke. <laughs> I tried so, to, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of crawled my way to it. I started a blog with like two other friends in like, I think it was 2015. And I think I was just at a weird place just trying to figure out, okay, what am I doing? What am I trying to say? And it didn't last long. And in retrospect, I wish I had embraced it because we'd be so much further along. And it takes a while to build momentum. And I see that sort of the topic of what we were doing is definitely more in the zeitgeist now. And then it wasn't. And I felt like, oh, like I just couldn't do it. So the podcast, it's like, I just want to expand and grow? And what are the things I'm not doing that I could put myself out there a little more? Very serendipitously, at a junket, I met someone who's like, we need help with some on-camera junket interviews. I'll put you in touch with the person who does it over at this movie theater. And I started doing that. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh, I have a broadcasting degree. This is sort of my wheelhouse. Let's see what I can do with this. And it was so much fun. Just doing something different on the other side of the business I've been in for so long. And I was like, oh, what else could I do with this? Oh, why don't I take some hosting classes? <gasps> Again, in my wheelhouse. So I don't know if you know Barbara Barner Abel. Okay. Yes. And she was also on Leave Your Mark and I've trained with her yes. also. Yes. She's the best. Of course. And I actually knew that. She's amazing and totally changed my life taking her course. Barbara, I can't wait for you to hear this. She did. I love her so much. And I've recommended so many people to her and just taking those courses and and even getting sort of past that. I was like, okay, so what else do I have to say? My boyfriend introduced me to Clubhouse. And I was like, hey, people don't have to look at me. They can hear me. And let's practice on Clubhouse. So a friend of mine and I, who both wanted to put ourselves out there a bit more, more forward facing was like, let's start this room on Clubhouse talking about Black women in leadership at corporate America. And we did. And it, again, it didn't last long, but it got us sort of over the hump. And next thing you know, I'm like, I want to do this podcast. And I really want to celebrate this industry that has given me so much and excites me. And my friend John and I have been doing a podcast just in our relationship all these years since like 2014 when we met on a movie project. And we really love the space. We both worked in multicultural marketing. We wanted to just highlight the folks that we work with on a regular basis, the community of marketers and content providers. And and one day, I guess maybe we will have celebrities, but that wasn't our focus. It really was folks that was more behind the scenes that was 
you know, representing in a way that people wouldn't have known, but you wouldn't have a multicultural campaign if you didn't have a publicist, a talent, you know, a stylist for the, like, there's so many people involved in putting so many of these projects together. And we just wanted to shine a light on them. I love that angle, actually, because by the way, like, no offense to celebrities, but the stories are kind of the same. Like once you get someone super famous on a podcast, they're telling the same exact story. Like I much prefer to have people like you who have beautiful careers that are doing creative, amazing work and sharing those stories. Because I also think, you know, one of my goals with this podcast was always to leave people feeling like they could walk away listening and actually like apply something and not feel like, oh, well, that was great for the billionaire CEO who did this thing. That's never going to be me. So making it accessible yet aspirational, I think is my goal for sure. I agree. I mean, us too. And we're only on the second season, but we are learning so much and it really does light us up. And it's different than the job that we do, but it's in the same space. So we're able to bring so much of our passion and knowledge to it. And also our relationships. I got to know so much more about the folks that I interviewed, things I, people I've known forever and didn't know certain things about them. And I had a brand new love and appreciation and admiration for them and their journey. And I know that it's inspiring people to, especially young Black people, people of color, it's so important that they see they belong in those rooms. You don't have to have friends or family in the business because none of us did. We just figured it out, just like you figured it out with your internships and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you have a feeling, and this is a question I often get asked, and I always have a bad answer. So I'll ask it to you, see if it's a good answer. Do you have a feeling of career satisfaction, not the role, not the company, but where you are today? Like when you have that macro view of where you are today, are you like, yeah, I've gotten there. Like you're there. Or is there more to do? There's so much more to do. I would say, you know this about PR people. We're not really one to toot our own horn or think, oh, I've done it. I've arrived. I've arrived. I've never met a PR person like that. I certainly am not like that. I don't like to make things about me. And I know that I'm still learning so much that I can't say I've all, I've arrived. And thankfully, I have like a John who will say, girl, you're fine. You're going to figure this out. When I try to talk myself, like I almost tried to talk myself out of the Paramount job. And what are you talking about? Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. I was like, can I do this? I knew it was going to be very intense. I thought my, and this has happened to me multiple times where I thought my career was going one way and then an opportunity presented itself. And again, God's plan, the universe's plan, And John was really instrumental in saying, you literally are the one person I know who can just figure things out. There's a benefit to that. And there's also a cost to it, I will say. So every time I, when I was freelancing, I took on a project that was maybe out of my wheelhouse because I was just like, I can figure it out. I can figure it out. It cost me time to figure it out. Whereas perhaps 
if I had specialized in just fashion or just film or just sports, I could have saved more time, maybe made more money, become an expert in that particular industry. And, you know, I can't jump in my time machine and go back, but it was valuable for me. And it probably got me to this point of realizing, oh, you really are lit up by multicultural marketing and publicity and just authentic representation and having this voice. This could be something that you focus on where you're not sort of all over the place, um, having to learn different things, different people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in an effort to give myself a little credit, I do have an appreciation from this country girl from Alabama who didn't have any connections in the industry. I didn't know literally anyone. <laughs> but just being able to figure it out and grow and this industry and PR in general, as tough as it is, again, it's PR, not ER, but it has given me the ability to problem solve in a way that I don't think I ever would have had. And I've needed that in my life. Like when my mom got sick uh, a couple years ago, uh, she had cancer and she's in remission, but there were so many dots to connect and like project managing, project hospital, managing. Like all Huge. the things. Yeah. And my parents were like, how do you know how to ask all those questions and then connect the dots? I was like, it's PR. <laughs> Everything is PR. <laughs> So true. So what's the Dee Dee Brown press release at the end of the day? How do you want to leave your work? What's that headline? The Dee Dee Brown press release. I would like to leave a mark that shows other women, but particularly Black women and women of color, that they belong. In any space they want to be in, they can figure it out. They can wear their natural hair. They can wear their bright red lipstick. They can be authentically themselves in those spaces and thrive and bring themselves to those spaces to make the work environment and ultimately the world a better place. Amen. Well said. Ah, Didi, I knew this was going to be so much fun and I was totally right. So fun. You are a master interviewer. Oh my God. You're so kind. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you're on Instagram, make sure to follow at Leave Your Mark Podcast to stay up with the latest episodes. And of course, say hi to me at Aliza Licht XO. If you're on Twitter, definitely reach out at Aliza Licht. I would love to hear from you. If you want to subscribe to my newsletter or attend a future virtual mentoring event, go to alizalicht.com for more information. And just remember this, If change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.